Christmas uh, celebration. Amen. So are you ready for the word this morning? Yes. Somebody might be saying, I'm ready to go home or I'm ready to have lunch. Well, you know, bear with us a few minutes because the Lord wants to say a few things to us. We want to receive communion together as a family and uh, uh, do all the things that we need to do. We are talking about family. The title of our series of messages is Family, a God Idea. Family is not man's contrivance. It's, uh, it's, it's an idea from God. We have family because God introduced us to it. The earth and the people on it were created by God so he could have a family. That is the root of what this is all about. The family of God. Now we've talked for two Sundays. We've covered some important ground. We can't go back and reiterate all of that today, of course. But last week we finished up by looking in Ephesians 2 and how that it was so sad that we were separated, isolated, alienated from the Father God through the fall. When sin entered the picture, man was born again in reverse. He went from spiritual life to spiritual death, and he left the family of God and went into the family of Satan. As a matter of fact, Jesus in John 8, says to, he was speaking particularly to hypocrites in his day, he said, you are of your father, the devil. So he, he likens the unsaved in this world to being the family of Satan. Now that's pretty harsh. Those are tough words, but they're not mine. Those are the, the sentiments of Jesus. So there are two spiritual families, only two. That is the family of God, by which we are born into, just like you were born into whatever natural family you came into, we are born into the family of God through the new birth. And then there is also the family of Satan. And oddly enough, you didn't have to do anything to be there. You were just born that way. It's kind of like, in a sense, a family name. Uh, you know, you don't choose your family name. You don't choose your parents. You know the old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family? Well, this, you know, it's true. And so when we were born, even in the natural world, we were born in a, in, in a state of, of needing a Savior, needing to be redeemed, needing to be born again. And so everybody that isn't saved, everybody that doesn't know Jesus is actually in the family of Satan, and he is considered their spiritual father or their spiritual head. Now, we know from what Jesus told us in John, the 10th chapter, that the only reason the devil comes into your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. So that's the father of the unsaved. He's not a good father. He's all about stealing, killing, and destroying. When we're born again, we're brought into the family of God, and God is our Father. As a matter of fact, the New Testament refers to God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which means that our Father, our Heavenly Father, is also Jesus' Father. Which means Jesus and you are brothers. Or brother and sister, as the case may be. He is our elder brother. And he brought us into himself. He brought us into the family and we are now redeemed. Why would God do that? That's kind of what I really want to focus on today for just a little while. Why would God do that? Why would he redeem man? Why would he go to all the trouble that he went to in order to bring man unto himself? We looked at uh, 
scriptures, you know, like Deuteronomy 32, 9, that says the Lord's portion is his people. Exodus 19, 4, how that God brought Israel unto himself. And we've determined that the only thing on the earth that really, really is important to God is you. He's not impressed with gold, silver, water, oil, gold, coal, or any of that. The resources of the earth, that's not what impresses God. He created all of that with his words and did it for us. And so, that's, that's what the earth is about. But what the earth was for was you and me. And so God saw us. Jesus gave us parables, you know, about how that there was a man who found a pearl of great price in a field. And that he went and sold all that he had to buy the field. Now, it wasn't the field that he was so interested in as much as it was the pearl that he knew was there, that no one else knew about. And so he wanted the field to get to the pearl. Jesus, went, uh, the father rather, went to all the trouble of dealing with, a, with the field, with the earth, with the mess that had been created through the fall and all the things that had happened. He went through all of that to get to the prize, and that's you. Now, the devil is a master. Of course, if you know what his tricks are, you don't have to be bound by them. But he's a master at telling people that they're worthless. He's a master at telling people you will never amount to anything. He loves to remind you of your failures. He loves to tell you how you've missed it. He likes you to think about what things could have been like if only. And then a long blank that he tries to help you fill in with your weaknesses, your failures, your mistakes. And the thing that makes this sometimes difficult for us to deal with until we get our mind renewed properly is the fact that we've all made those mistakes. We've all messed up. We understand our imperfections. And so the devil brings this stuff up. But what we know is that through Christ Jesus, we, when we were born again, were made a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so when the devil brings up your past, he's talking about a dead person. And you need to remind him of it. When he brings up all that stuff you did, all that stuff you said, you, need to, you just need to, to tell him, that person died. That person is now in Christ. As a matter of fact, when I got water baptized, that was part of what that was all about. It was a testimony to the world and to angels and even to demons that the old me died. And a new me was resurrected in the image and likeness of God himself through Christ Jesus. And so therefore, bringing up my past is talking about the dead. Why bother talking about the dead? Nothing back there can be changed. Let's talk about now, devil. And let's maybe talk about your future. You want to bring up my past? Well, let's talk about your future. Let's talk about the fact you are unredeemable. Let's talk about the fact that you will be separated and severed from human contact at some point out there, never again to harass anybody. But you yourself will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's talk about the fact that when I'm shouting on the streets of glory, 
you will be forever separated from the life and nature of God. Thank God, and it's all because of what Jesus did. I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it. Hallelujah. So God did all of that for one major, major reason. Love. Love. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. This is a passage that probably all of you who went to Sunday school when you were little, you, you learned this one, you learned this verse, you had teachers who taught you about it, and this was one of the favorites probably that you heard again and again. And so today we're going to look at it again and again because today we're in our Sunday morning class here all together. And we're big kids now, but we're going to, we're going to look at it again. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Not he has love, not he uses love, it says he is love. Verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. So God so loved us that he became a man in order to redeem men. When we could not get to God, God came to us. Love was his motivation. Love was who he is. Now we're talking about family, a God idea. And of course, as I was seeking the Lord, uh, you know, I, I, I seek God, what do you want me to say? What what? What do we need to hear? What is it that you want me to bring forth? And, of course, there are many avenues, many things that you could say about family. It's very important to learn about it from God's perspective. But I felt particularly that this was really the great key. Love is the great key. Love is the, and I'm talking about the God kind of love. It's the great key to a successful marriage. It's the key to parenting. It's the key to relationships on any level. It's the key to success in our work life, in um, business, whatever it may be. You know, there are a lot of other things that might be involved in those things I just mentioned. A lot of moving parts, as we say. But when you come down to the bottom line, when you come down to the basics, if you don't have love, it's not going to work. And if you do have love, you can't fail. You can't fail. Because that's what we're told in 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love never fails. Love is the key to good and lasting relationships. Every step out of love that we ever make, and I've made my share, but every time we step out of love, we step into sin. A step further away 
from God's plan is a step outside of love. Now, sometimes when people try to define things, one of the ways we can learn more about things at times is to look at what the opposite is. And so in looking at the opposite of love, many people would say, well, that must be hate. And, of course, we understand how people would come to that conclusion. But I want to give you something a little different to think about today because I think it's very important. Uh, selfishness is the opposite of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. That breaks the back of selfishness. That breaks the stronghold of self-centeredness. It's the cure for narcissism. It's the cure for the see me, hear me, look at me, praise me, thank me, respect me. All of those things that so many people seem to be so centered on. Love isn't a taker. Love is a giver. Agape is the, is the Greek word in the New Testament that's translated concerning the spiritual love of God. Now, if you study the word, you'll find there are other Greek words that apply to different aspects of love. There, there is, uh, you know, uh, a word that has to do with um, um, friendship and so forth. There is a word that has to do with the physical side of love. There is uh, everybody, most everybody's heard the word Philadelphia, the uh, you know, brotherly love. So there are different degrees and different types of what we call love. But the greatest of all, and the one that was put inside of you when you were born again. You don't have to pray and ask God to give it to you. It's already there. We do need to learn how to let it out. We have to make choices on how to let it out. But the love that was put in your spirit from God, and only comes from God. You can't get it from a sweetheart, a, a little baby as sweet as they are. You don't get it from your grandma. You get this love only from God. It's called agape. It's spiritual love that both empowers and motivates us to do. Everybody say do. do. This kind of love is expressed in doing. It's a lot like faith. You know, faith is not fully expressed until we act on it. Faith is an act. Well, love is an act. Confession of love and saying I love you is very important. We don't want to minimize it. But this kind of love is manifested most powerfully in doing. And what this love does is it does what's best for other people even at our own expense. It's doing what's best even when I don't want to. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when it inconveniences me, or ouch, double ouch, even when it costs me money that I could spend on me or I could do, you know, something I want to do. But love like this is the motivation that moves us to do what love does. God looks constantly at the heart of men. We know that. You can do good things but have wrong motivation and you'll, you'll lose credit for that. you probably get a demerit for it, actually. Everybody may think you're just the best thing since sliced bread and God knows you're a hypocrite. Or God knows that you've you know, you got ulterior motives. God knows that you're really doing this because you're trying to manipulate people. And the ultimate end game is for you to get what you want and get something out of it. God sees all of that. 
That's the thing about God. He really is God. He really does know everything. And so you can't pull anything over on him. And so it's very important that, uh, that what we do is motivated from our heart and that we are truly doing what we're doing. Now, what, what, you, what do I mean by that? Well, I, I don't mean that, that you won't ever struggle with doing the right thing. Like we were just talking about, you, you might have to make some hard choices to do what love does. But even in that, God sees your heart. You are choosing to do the right thing because it is the right thing. You're choosing to walk in love because you know that's the royal law of the New Testament is to walk in love. And so it's not that you're manipulating people. It's not that you're a hypocrite. It's just that you make a choice even when you don't feel like it. And believe me, no matter how much you love somebody, and no matter how sweet they are at this moment, there will come a time when you will have to make a choice to do what's best. Because the other choices, well, they could get you in trouble. Life's greatest forces are heart forces. And faith and love are two of the most powerful that we ever have anything to do with. In James chapter 2 and verse 8, we are told that this uh, love uh, situation is called the royal law. It is the law of the kingdom. In Matthew chapter uh, 22, Whenever that the uh, uh, lawyer asked Jesus which was the greatest command in the law, and he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. Love is the key. It is the greatest thing in all the world. Because love is God. And God is love. Now many people confuse affection and emotion for love. Many associate physical intimacy with love. And of course, these things can be involved. Emotion, affection, and in the proper context of marriage, physical intimacy, all these things are involved in, in loving somebody. But you can have affection and you can have emotions towards somebody. You could be physically intimate with somebody but still not love them like God loves them. The greatest thing, the highest thing that God looks for is His love manifesting from us. And here is one of the keys you've got to understand. If you truly walk in the agape, spiritual force of God's love, then all the other loves available to us in their proper legal context will be a blessing to you. And they'll be even greater blessing when you do it motivated by the love of God. Amen. Now love, just like faith, I said is an act. But love, like faith, is expressed also in words. Anything you appreciate gains in value. You know, if you buy a house today and uh, 10 years from now, it's worth, you know, 30% more than you paid for it or 50% more than you paid for it. And uh, 
we say that it is appreciated. It's appreciated by 20%, appreciated by 50%, whatever the case may be. Well, in the, in the realm of relationships, the things we appreciate, the things we express our appreciation for, they gain in value. That's why uh, if you're always talking down to somebody, if you're always complaining to them or about them, if you're always telling them what's wrong with them, if you're always declaring their faults and failures, if there's always a wisecrack on the end of every conversation about what they didn't do or how they failed or whatever that may be, that person will not appreciate in value to you. In your eyes, no matter how good they may be, and they may be doing some great things, and that's, of course, a blessing for them, but, but in your eyes, you're only going to have more value in the things you appreciate. So learn, how, learn what your mama taught you. Learn how to say thank you. And learn how to say I love you, especially in a marriage You know, I know you said it before you talked her into marrying you. <laughs> and 20 years later, you can honestly say, I said it once. And you may have the attitude, if I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. But how many of you know that's not good enough? And, and you know, uh, in life, things are constantly changing. Circumstances change, times change, we change, our bodies change, but love remains constant. Love remains constant. You may think you're just as sharp as a double-edged sword today, and you may just think you're, you're a hot tamale. My advice to you is take lots of pictures because it won't last. It ain't going to last, but love lasts. Hair comes and hair goes. <laughs> and what don't turn loose turns gray. And you can work hard for it not to be, but we know it is. <laughs> All that is outward. All that is external. But love can grow. You know that uh, righteousness, for instance, you can never grow in righteousness. When you're born again, you are made righteous, and you will never be more righteous than you are when you're born again. Amen. A million years from now, you won't be more righteous than you are right now in the sight of God, and that is a real faith builder. If you'll meditate on that and get that in your spirit, it will change the way you think about things. It'll change your prayer life. It'll change your faith life because you'll understand that we're not working for acceptance with God. We've been accepted in the beloved. We've been made the righteousness of God in him. Hallelujah. I'm so glad about that. And so a million years from now, you're not going to be able to do anything that makes you more righteous. But do you know that love... Even though it's the greatest thing, it's the most powerful force there is in the universe, it is the epitome of who God is. Do you realize that you can grow in love? You can grow in your love walk. You can develop in your love walk. You can, you can make decisions and learn how to better express this love and how better to walk in this love. And, of course, the Bible says faith works by love. 
in Galatians chapter 5. And so the more that you're perfected in love, the greater your faith force is going to be, the more your faith will be able to do. I mean, this is a win-win. And not only that, but it's going to make you a whole lot nicer person to be around. You know, a lot of people are always wanting somebody else to change. Well, if he would just, you know, fill in the blank. If she would just fill in the blank. Well, why don't you and me, why don't we just, and then see what happens to them? A lot of times, problems are a result of response to our boneheadedness. People are responding to our lack of love. They're responding to our impatience. They're responding to our grouchiness. You know, you might ask me, well, do you ever, pastor, do you ever wake up grouchy? No, I let her sleep. I let her sleep. <laughs> let me cut to the chase here this morning. Love does what love does. If you want to walk in love, if you want to manifest the love of God, do what love does. What does love do? It does what's best for the other person. That involves telling the truth. Sometimes, not often and not always, but sometimes that means confrontation. That will mean saying no to an immature child so that they don't become a spoiled brat. Trust me, parents, if you don't ever say no, there is a policeman, there's a judge, there's a drill instructor, there's somebody out there that will let them know what no means. And hopefully they'll learn, but you've got to realize if you'll do that early and train them up in the way they should go, they can avoid a whole lot of problems. And if your children avoid problems, you avoid problems. So this is worth the investment. It's worth the time. It's worth the trouble. Love does what is best for others, regardless of my feelings or the cost. Act like love acts, and you'll be walking in love. Act like love acts. And you'll be walking in love. Forget about how you feel at the moment. Just do what love does. Now I want to close this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter. And I want to read verses 4 through the first part of verse 8 from the Amplified Classic Bible. This is a description of what love does. Everything we're going to read in just a moment, you have the capability of doing if you're saved. So it's not a matter of I can't, I don't believe I could do that. No, you can. You just have to make a choice. And if you will choose to do what love does, I promise you the Holy Spirit who authored this book will come alongside you and give you the strength and the ability to get the job done. So we'll start in verse 4 reading, as I said, from the Amplified Classic. It says, love endures long and is patient and kind. Most of us have a problem with the first line. Right off the bat, love endures long. You don't have to raise your hand, please don't, but have you ever asked yourself a question, how long 
Is this going to be going on? I think about that old song. How long has this been going on? Uh, some of you are not old enough to remember that number. Uh, love endures long. And notice what you do while you're enduring. Is patient and kind. Now some people put up with stuff. But they're not very patient while they do it. And others aren't very kind while they do it. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. That's pretty tough stuff, but that's what love does. In other words, love isn't into self-promotion. Love is not about, see me, I'm so wonderful, I'm so great. That's not what love is about. Verse 5, it is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly. You see why we need to be kind and mannerly and we need to teach our children manners? You know, I'm amazed sometimes. I mean, I know I'm older, but I'm amazed. I go places and I'm amazed sometimes at the behavior of children in public places. I'm thinking, you know, don't these parents know what they are going to have someday? You see, you can't walk in love if you don't manifest some manners. You can't walk in love if you're a rude person. And so it's our responsibility not only to live this way, but to teach those we're responsible for to live this way. And I know this is not, uh, this is not modern rules, but this is God's rules. These are rules that God laid down, They're, and they work. And does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. And boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? When you know that they owe you. You know, they owe you the money or they owe you the respect or they owe you the whatever. They promise this, they promise that. No, love does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking. Keep on plowing. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It's not touchy. You know, get over it. I just added that. That's not in, that's not in here. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Well, that's a big one. How many people are always ready to tell you what they did? Always ready to tell you what they said? always ready to put themselves in the role of victim and somebody else in the role of the evildoer. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't tell those war stories of what they did or they didn't do or how they let you down or how they failed. And he goes on to say, it pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Let me tell you one way that you'll know you are developing in love. I've, I'm certainly not perfected in it. And I've never met anybody who is perfected in it. But I can tell you how one way you'll know you're making some pro, pro, uh, you're making progress is when you don't uh, remember. You honestly, somebody brings something up and you, oh, I forgot that. I forgot they did that. 
I forgot they said that. Then you'll know you're making some progress. But rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Verse 8. Love never fails. What do you know of in all the world that that statement can truly be said about other than love slash God or God slash love? Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. Now, through the Gospels, through the Epistles, we're told about dealing with people, even how to deal with difficult people. Provisions are made for situations which give us a biblical scriptural right to get out of abusive situations, out of bad situations. Love doesn't mean you're a doormat. Love doesn't mean you have to take beatings. Love doesn't mean you have to live a life of constant abuse. But what love does, it says that you keep your heart right, you do the right thing, no matter what other people might do. When you follow love, you're following what's best. In Matthew 5, Jesus told us what to do with those who despitefully use us and persecute us. In other words, he told us how to deal with difficult people. And there are four words that he gave to us. You can look at it when you get home if you'd like. Number one, he said love. Number two, he said bless. Number three, he said do good. And number four, he said to um, pray. Love, bless, do good. Pray, Matthew 5, 44. So no matter how mean they are, no matter how wrong they are, no matter what's going on, make sure you love, you bless what you say good things about, which means if you don't have anything good to say, like your mama taught you this too, just don't say anything. Love, bless is the opposite of curse. Love, bless, do good, do good, there ought to be times in life when we do good, just uh, we do good on purpose for somebody who doesn't deserve good. But we just do it because that's what love does. Love, bless, do good, and then pray. The thing about prayer when it comes to praying for an individual is you get close to people you pray for. There is a connection, a spiritual connection that's made when we pray for people. And so praying for somebody that's difficult will help you love them better. God will bless you with insight and help you to, to, uh, to do even a better job of loving them. And so when we talk about family, we take our cues from our Heavenly Father. We are blessed and endowed with His love in our spirit. If you would practice what this little message is about here today, Probably 90 to 95% of all your family and relational problems would go away. The answers are not complicated. I know sometimes people's problems seem very complicated. But the answer is very simple. 
Do what love does, and you'll get what love brings. And love never fails. Father, we're grateful. We're thankful for the love that you manifested and demonstrated into our lives. I thank you, Lord, for the family of God. And Father, I'm especially grateful for the family of God here in this church. This family, this local church family. I thank you for every home, every natural family represented here. Every parent, every child, every grandparent, every person. Father, I pray for a revelation, revelation knowledge of how to walk in love. Lord, there are probably people listening today that this message has especially spoken to them because they're in the midst, right in the middle of a, of a tough situation. Tough choices to make. Decisions that have to be made. And I pray. I pray that you would give them guidance, direction, anointing. Help them, Lord they will flow in the things of the Spirit of God in their relationships with others. Maybe you're here today as we just wait before God heads bowed for just a moment. And Maybe there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe there's something in your life you need to ask God to forgive you for. The Word makes it very clear that our forgiveness is contingent now on us forgiving. Jesus taught us that in Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. It's important that we forgive. What does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily forget everything that happened. Their words may still sting. And the thoughts of that situation may bring pain. But what it does mean is that it's no longer hindering you in your faith. It means that you no longer are looking for your own brand of vengeance. You're not after retribution. You're not trying to make them pay and you get no pleasure if something happens to them. What it means is you release them. Some of you here today, you just need to do that in your heart right now. This is a very important moment. You just need to say, I release. And then you fill in that blank. It might be a parent, an absentee parent, an abusive parent. It might be an ex-spouse. It might be some in-law who's become an outlaw, as we jokingly maybe say. I don't know. But let it go. Forgive them. Cleanse them. Or you don't cleanse them, but let yourself be cleansed of unforgiveness. And leave them with God. And you know what God's going to do? I'll tell you in advance. He's going to be merciful just like he's been merciful with you and me. And that's what we want. That's what we want. We delight in mercy. We delight in grace. So, Father, maybe somebody's here today and they say, I need forgiveness myself. I've failed. I've sinned. Maybe somebody here today, you've never met Jesus. 
You say, I want Jesus in my life. I believe he died for my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus is alive now, and I believe he's coming back. Please forgive me and cleanse me of my sins and make me this new creation you talked about, preacher. Make me the new creation. Help me. I'll serve you, Lord, all the days of my life. Forgive me, cleanse me. I receive it now. I know I don't deserve it. I know I haven't earned it. I never can. But I receive your grace and mercy today.